today here on Cincy Business Talk with Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. We'll be talking to business leaders about how they have grown their businesses and people. We discuss new strategies, tactics, and philosophies which lead to positive growth in our marketplace. Our program is sponsored by Sandler Training by Roth & Associates. Each week, we'll talk with our best Cincinnati area top executives about their tools and insights. Our regular listeners will be given the edge that will help them win in a competitive environment which we live. Simple solutions to complex problems which challenge all of us are rarely correct. We will address complex problems or opportunities with appropriate solutions. If you have questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400. Now your host, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer, Mike Roth. This is Mike Roth. I'm here today with Ryan Kiefer from Prime Lending. But before we get started with Ryan, I'd like to introduce you to Tom Manning and a marketing event that is going to be offering here in Cincinnati this spring. This is Mike Roth with Tom Manning. We're talking about your marketing and sales boot camp that you're going to be running in April and May. And the name of the program is? It's called Engage 2013. Engage 2013. And you're going to be running it in Columbus and in Cincinnati. Correct. It's going to be Tuesday mornings for six weeks in Columbus and Wednesday mornings for six weeks in Cincinnati. Okay. And if a company sends their CEO, the CEO comes and he's bringing a chief marketing officer, what would they be getting by attending your program? Well, the first thing we try to do is we try to get the company to develop a story, figure out what their key messages are, what the value proposition is, and come up with their company story. From that, we can actually look at all your marketing materials to be sure they're telling the same story. All your marketing and sales materials. So does your website match your brochures, match your email campaign, and all of your branding? Does it tell the same message? Okay. Does it really have to match? It really does because what it does is it creates a consistency in the eyes of the end customer or the end user of your products and services. If you Are you talking about user or prospect here? Well, it depends what your industry is. If you're B2C, it's going to be your customers, mm-hmm. and it's going to be what your customer sees with your company. Right. If you have different messages, you're actually causing customer confusion. If you're B2B, it's going to be you and other businesses, and you're going to be trying to capture market share. And so are you consistent as to what your message is and how you define yourself in the marketplace? Mm -hmm. And why should someone attend? So what we'll do is we're going to, over the course of six weeks, we're going to help you um, define your your key messages and your company's story. And then from that, we're going to help you develop a marketing strategy and a sales strategy and perhaps a social media strategy that helps coordinate all of that. So people will be consistent at the end. Correct. We're going to actually look at everything from your logo and your corporate identity. Does it match that key messages? Your website, are the messages on your website consistent? Your brochure, your sales presentations, your PowerPoint presentations, your proposal system, your email campaign, your trade show. And naturally, your selling system. And, of course, your selling system as well. Tom, if someone is interested in finding out more, either speaking to you or speaking to you personally, How should they do that? There's two ways. One, you could go to marketleaders.us. That's the website for Engage 2013. You can learn all about the sessions there and the speakers and the time frame and and, uh, registration. 
or you can call me directly if you have any questions that aren't answered there, and you can reach me at 614-622-1047. Thanks, Tom. In future weeks, we'll be hearing more from Tom about the Engaged Marketing and Sales 2013. This is Mike Roth, and we're going to be talking to Ryan Kiefer now. Ryan, why don't you tell us how you got to prime lending? What brought you into the mortgage business? Kind of a, a strange twist. <laughs> yeah, great question, Mike. First of all, uh, thanks for having me out today. You have a background in marketing and economics, so I guess you know mortgage would be a little bit of a, a fit there, if you will. But you know, certainly uh, didn't really think about that career path while I was in school. By the uh, way, tell the folks what college you went to. I went to the University of Cincinnati. Mm, College school. Some people around here might have heard of it. Yeah, a few. It's a small little school here locally, the College of Business Administration. Shout out to all the fellow Bearcats out there. A good friend of mine was in the mortgage business. This is going back to the uh, late 90s. So it's actually 15 years this month that I've been in the mortgage business. And uh, it's been a great business. Okay. 15 years? 15 years this month, yeah. Wow. That's a long time. You're you're with a company, Prime Mortgage, Mm -hmm. that's uh, headquartered where? Yeah, I'm with the company Prime Lending. It's part of Plains Capital Bank, which is headquartered in Dallas, Texas. Okay. When you say Capital Bank, what what does that mean? Well, Plains Capital is a federally chartered bank in Dallas, second largest bank in Texas, backed by about six billion dollars worth of assets. So, you know, one of the benefits there uh, for Prime Lending is that we do lend our own money. We're a mortgage banker. We're not a broker. Um, we are licensed to do business in all 50 states. So you, you get sort of the best of both worlds there. Okay. How many states does uh, Prime actually operate in? We actually have offices, I believe, right now in 44 states. So, you know, I guess we're just missing in six states right now, but pretty much everywhere where we want to be. Okay. And and you you have the office open here in Cincinnati how long? A little over a year. We opened up in May of 2011. We opened up our main offices in Hyde Park, uh, right there on Observatory Avenue. And then we also have a satellite office that we opened up a month later up in Middletown. Okay. So you got... Pretty much the area covered. Do you do business also in northern Kentucky? We do. Yep, we do business over in northern Kentucky. I'm from that area originally, so, uh, you know, I guess a little bit by default, you know, friends, family, relatives, uh, you know, we, we do plenty of business over there as well. Okay, so you have the appropriate passports to do business. Uh, I do. They allow me across the bridge. Okay, that's great. That's great. Some people tell me they're not allowed across the bridge here, which really confuses me, even though I've been here 20 years. Tell me about how prime lending goes to market. It makes it a gives you a unique marketing advantage or a differential in the marketplace. Great question. Prime is a little bit unique. You know, most of my background I spent with a couple of the bigger retail banks in town. I spent uh, ten years. And, you know, I don't know if I should mention names or not, but it, it runs major major banks. banks. Yes, in town. So thirteen years spent over there. Ten years at one. Three years at another. Prime is a little bit different in that I guess we don't do a lot of direct-to-consumer advertising. We do more of our business by referral and by marketing to realtors, financial planners, CPAs, a lot of word-of-mouth business. A little bit unique in that our main focus is mortgage. Um, Prior employer, give you just some some basic stats. Uh, Previous bank I worked for had approximately 50,000 employees, 2,000 of which were in mortgage. Plains Capital Bank has 3,000 employees, 2,000 of which are in mortgage. So it's it's two-thirds of the bank is prime lending. So it is it is the focus of the bank. It is what we do, you know, all day, every day. Another, I think, unique thing with Prime is that the majority of our loans, even though we're lending our own money, 
and close the loans in our name, we are not retaining servicing about 90% of the time. So what that means simply is that the loan would be sold off to another bank, you know, several months down the road. Nothing, of course, would change, you know, with the payments or the rates of the mortgages. The advantage there, ironically, in not servicing our own loans is that it keeps the organization, I think, honest and that, you know, we realize that we're starting at zero every month, so to speak. You know, we don't do any business. We can't rest on our laurels like some of the bigger banks um, who have a huge servicing portfolio that it can just continue to refinance over and over as interest rates drop um, constantly. Uh, you know, we, we have to, you know, do it better than the other guys out there, so to speak. You know, from a customer service standpoint, we have to be faster and more efficient. So being faster and more efficient uh, since you're the fellow who, who started Cincinnati for Prime. Tell us a little bit about your business development team. Yeah, the team that we have right now, we have 11 folks, you know, on the sales side of the equation, so loan officers locally. Um, we do have local operations, which is a little bit unique currently in the market. There has been a propensity on the, the side of the big retail banks to centralize operations, which is supposed to bring economies of scale, but quite often uh, will give you some new challenges in terms of the operations and the efficiencies when you're dealing with someone who's you know a thousand miles away and is processing and underwriting your loans. We believe in doing all that at the local level still, and it, it enables us to move a little bit faster. So we get more business word of mouth, uh, you know, from realtors and that who who understand that when it comes to meeting a contract closing date, and also when it comes time to put their reputation and their paycheck on the line, which is what they're doing when they send a referral out to a loan officer. Uh, you know, they can trust us with that because we're able to close on time and, and quicker than everyone else. So you're actually doing the loan processing, the paperwork here in, in Hyde Park? Yes, we have it set up in Hyde Park and also in our Middletown office. Wow, so it really is local processing from a, a national institution. Exactly. As opposed to sending all the paperwork to uh, Long Island to figure out yeah, whether exactly. or not it's any good. Uh-huh. <laughs> and has that saved... Uh, any closings for your clients? Saves quite a few closings for our clients and some closings for other clients. You know, we, we inherit quite a bit of business uh, here and there from, from some of the bigger banks and, and deals that, for whatever reason, they couldn't get done or couldn't get them done in a timely fashion. Word of mouth has, has been a good thing for us so far, and that, uh, you know, we're getting a lot of business that way sort of by default. We're becoming a go-to lender for a lot of people just to, you know, to get things done. Okay. So how many business development officers uh, or loan officers does uh, Prime have here in this market? Uh, locally, we just have 11 uh, running around you in the Cincinnati, Middletown area. Um, you know, nationally, I believe we're sitting somewhere around 1,100. Um, we are a top 10 lender when compared against any of the big banks out there. If you look at independent mortgage companies, we're actually number one by far for what it's worth. Last year, we did a little over $9 billion dollars. Uh, worth of business nationally. This year, we're on pace to do over $12 billion. We're, we're closing over a billion dollars a month right now. And, and the biggest takeaway from our numbers that I see is that, you know, nationally right now with interest rates where they are, the market is about 80% refinance, 20% purchase. Prime lending last year was 73% purchase, the remaining refinance. So we sort of flipped those numbers around. So our focus you know, it's very much on the purchase market. Not that we don't love to do refis because we do, but we're very much focused on the long-term growth, uh, which in our business is purchase business. That's the lifeblood for any loan officer out there, you know, and the refinances should just be gravy on top of that. So if a uh, individual or a realtor wants to get a hold of you, Ryan, how should they do that? Cell phone or, or email certainly works. Cell phone is 513-314-2248. 
or email is rkiefer, that's R-K-I-E-F-E-R, at primelending.com. Good. And by having 11 loan officers that are highly qualified, mm-hmm. people, average experience, you'd say, is how many years of experience? On average, it's 10 plus. 10 plus, so you have no newbies. No newbies. you got experienced people working on your team to help people either refinance or get the house of their dreams. Correct. Mm-hmm. In your estimation in the marketplace, do you see business getting easier or harder? Oh, a loaded question. Probably a combination. I, you know, I think, you know, the pendulum definitely swung the other way a few years ago, four or five years ago. And, uh, you know, when the bottom fell out of the market, you know, we definitely saw things get a lot tougher in terms of mortgage lending, you know, as it should. You know, the days of doing stated income loans and that kind of thing that, that got us in a lot of trouble. Uh, those days are over. Thankfully, I never participated in a lot of that personally, but we're, we're starting to see some of the underwriting guidelines uh, relax a little bit. Not a ton. You certainly still have to prove your income you know, and that type of thing, but I think most end investors feel like we're either at or near a bottom in terms of home value. So from that standpoint, we are starting to see things you know, relax a little bit. The uh, the the rumor that's out there that banks don't want to lend money is, is definitely untrue. You know, banks are very willing to lend money. You just, you know, you certainly have to be qualified. So your firm is a bank, mm-hmm. correct? And and you are lending money, correct? Lots of money, billion dollars a month. <laughs> Can you give us a, an idea of what percentage of the people who apply for a loan with uh, prime lending are actually getting a loan? Oh, it's over ninety percent. You know, it's um, you know. I think most people before they even apply have a pretty good idea whether they would be qualified or not. I think you know people who might have had a foreclosure or a bankruptcy recently. Uh, unfortunately for them, you know, whether it's a job loss or or what have you, I think most of the time they realize that it's going to take them a few years of reestablishing credit before they can purchase another home. So you know, we, we don't see a whole lot of turndowns. Does it does it happen on occasion? Sure. Uh, but thankfully, it's a, it's a rarity. Okay. Brian, let's take a, a short commercial break, and we'll be back in a couple of minutes. This is Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. If you're a salesperson or a company owner, my message is critical for you. Today, I want to talk to you about the real secret of getting out of debt. Earn more money. Most salespeople and owners want to sell more at a higher price with better margins, but don't know how. I've helped hundreds of people and companies grow over 30% per year by making an investment in themselves. Albert Einstein said, insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. I teach my clients new and different strategies, tactics, and behaviors that get dramatic results. I'm not for everyone. I'm tough, expensive, abrasive, and not politically correct. But if you want results, we need to talk. Call me at 513-646-646. 6523. Give me your toughest questions. Then, if you qualify, I'll invite you in for a free meeting. 513-646-6523. This is Mike Roth, Cincinnati's most experienced Sandler trainer. Many salespeople tell us business was really easy. They likened it to gathering fruit in an orchard full of ripe trees. They gathered the low-hanging fruit. They had to get baskets to pick up the fruit that was already fallen. They never had to climb a tree. They worked this way for 10 or 15 years. Given the strong economy, this was no problem. What are you hearing now? The economy has slowed down. Salespeople are competing on price. There's still business now, but salespeople have to work harder. The fruit has not fallen from the tree, and there's no low-hanging fruit. The fruit is there, but it's higher up in the tree. 
The problem is their salespeople have forgotten how to climb. Do your salespeople know how to climb? If you or your team needs to learn how to climb through and up out of tough economic times, call me, Mike Roth, at 513-646-6523 or check our website at rothconsulting.net. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with Ryan Kiefer. Ryan, you talk to a lot of people every month about new mortgages and refinances. What are people actually asking for today? Well, it depends on whether it's a purchase or a refinance. The purchases. Are people yeah. still buying those 30-year fixed mortgages? Um, it's still a very popular product, given where fixed rates are right now. You know, you have a 30-year fixed sitting somewhere down around, you know, 3.5 to 3.875, depending on the circumstances. You know, that compares pretty favorably against, you know, some of the uh, adjustable rate mortgages that are out there. So the 30-year the is a very popular product, uh, especially for purchases. On what about these 15-year mortgages? Yeah, refinances. We are seeing some 15-year mortgages. That's become a very popular product. On that side of the equation, you know, you get someone who, you know, might have refinanced into a 30-year mortgage three or four years ago. They got a rate of 4.875, thought it was a mortgage they were never going to touch again, you know, plan to pay the house off. And now all of a sudden you get a 15-year fix out there at 2.875. You know, that becomes pretty attractive. You know, their monthly payment might only go up a couple hundred bucks a month uh, because of the shorter term of the 15-year. But you know, you look at the interest savings; they're knocking 2% off their rate, going from 4.875 down to 2.875. That's a pretty substantial savings. You know, someone who owes, let's say, $200,000 on their mortgage—that's $4,000 a year in interest. So uh, refinancing is always an interesting topic. Uh, how many years should someone have left on their mortgage minimally before they consider refinancing? Or if someone's got two or three years left on their mortgage, should they just forget about it and keep paying? Yeah, if, if you're, generally speaking, if you have under 10 years left on a mortgage, um, unless the loan balance is, is pretty high, it, it gets really tough because you're paying mostly principal at that point. So even if you can knock a point or two off of the interest rate, you'll see that the savings is really not that substantial. But it, it really is, you know, it just depends on the situation. Everyone's situation is unique. You know, there was an old rule of thumb that said you shouldn't refinance unless you can knock two percentage points off of the rate. That's not necessarily true. You know, it, it, it might be true if you only owe $50,000 on your mortgage, but for someone who owes, you know, one hundred and fifty or two hundred or 300000 you know, knocking even just 1% or sometimes even a half percent off of your rate can certainly add up over time, particularly if you plan on being in the property long term. You know, I generally advise clients that, hey, if you plan on selling in the next year or two, you probably don't want to mess with it at all, regardless of the savings, because it's not worth, you know, paying the closing costs. What kind of closing costs does someone encounter on a refinance? Uh, round numbers. round numbers, 2000 to $2,500 worth of just, you know, third-party junk, we call it. You know, it's just uh, inevitable appraisal, title, recording fees. Uh, you know, there's a lot of third-party vendors that have their hands out because, they, you know, they didn't work on the loan and they, they have to be paid. Okay. Uh, do, you, do you think that the, the bottom has just about hit for the Cincinnati residential real estate market? I think that it has. You know, thankfully, we never saw some of the run-up in price that the rest of the country had. So, um, you know, we haven't you know, prices haven't dropped here as much as they have in other markets, you know, uh, thankfully and rightfully so. Um, you know, you, could you see, you know, a little bit of price reduction still because of, you know, this so-called shadow inventory of foreclosures that are hanging out there? Yeah, I suppose you could. But, 
you know, anecdotally speaking, you know, we're seeing um, something happening right now that we haven't seen in the last five or six years, and that is we're starting to see multiple offers on properties on purchases. You know, if a home is priced right, uh, we'll often see two or three different bidders, you know, get in a bidding war, and we'll we'll see the price, uh, the actual purchase price, um, come through higher than listing price. Higher than listing. Higher than listing price. Again, you got to price it right in the beginning. Um, but yes, we are starting to see that. Um, you know, seen that in, in more than one case here recently. Wow, that's that's really good news for people yeah. who might want to be selling their house in the uh, in the near future. Uh, in, in in our marketplace, are there uh, areas that are, are doing a lot better than average? There are some. There are some areas that have held up, you know, better than others. Um, you know, that haven't had as much of a price reduction um it's you know what's interesting what has happened is the areas that are historically have more owner occupied homes have held up better than areas that say have had more investment or rental properties because with the areas that had rental properties you know you might have one investor that owned the entire block they own 10 houses in a row and if that one investor went down um, and got foreclosed on um, you know obviously that can affect that local market in a big way Okay, and is your company financing non-owner-occupied houses so people can buy them, fix them up, and flip them? Yes, absolutely. We um, Prime Lending has a, a big benefit in that we are considered a Fannie Direct lender, and what that means for the, for the layman out there is that we are approved to go right to the window with Fannie Mae, uh, Freddie Mac, and Jenny Mae, who you know hands out FHA loans, HUD-insured loans, so quite simply, um, if Fannie Mae is willing to do a deal, uh, Prime Lending is willing to do a deal. Now, what typically happens with bigger banks is you'll have a set of rules by Freddie or Fannie, and then you'll have what is called a credit overlays, and that is the bank's even more strict rules that they have out there. Okay, Prime Lending doesn't have any credit overlays. So long story short, uh, most big banks will only lend on up to four properties per borrower. Prime Lending will lend on up to ten properties per borrower. So someone can own a primary residence, a second home, and up to eight rental properties with prime lending versus most big banks will only allow you to own two rental properties. So those people in the marketplace who want to buy some of these foreclosures at bargain prices, mm -hmm. uh, finance them through prime lending, can own eight, eight rental properties. Yeah. In addition to their primary residence. And a second home. They can own 10 total. Wow. Mm -hmm. uh, are you seeing any of that happening? We are seeing some of that happening more than more because it enables an investor who say they already owned what they thought was the maximum of four properties and they want to acquire more, you know, versus tying up all their cash in one property, they can take that cash and spread it across another three or four properties, just put down a twenty or twenty five percent down payment and then take a mortgage out on that house. Okay. And are there prepayment penalties if they decide to prepay the the, the mortgage because they were able to sell the house within a year? Absolutely not. No prepayment penalties. They're all standard conforming or conventional loans. They can pay them off in a month if they like. Wow. Does that happen frequently? Uh, not all that often. You see some paid off in less than a year, certainly if it's a, a rehab-type situation where an investor buys it and they go in and do some rehab or you know construction work on the property and then they sell it. Um, we're also starting to see a market for um, there's a big market out there for lease options you know for people who might have gotten foreclosed on um, or had a short sale where they had to give up their old house they can't purchase a new property with a mortgage for at least three more years 
So they'll go out and they'll do a lease option, maybe with an investor who's willing to hold that on their end. Uh, they'll rent the property. A certain portion of that money from the rental payment each month will go towards their down payment, and then they can look to actually purchase the property in a couple of years. Now, are you uh, writing mortgages all over the state of Ohio from your High Park location? We are. Yeah, we're actually doing them all over the country. We can lend... Personally, we can lend them 37 out of 50 states here. There are only 13 states where we would actually have to refer the loan out to another prime lending loan officer in that state because of the state licensing requirements. Okay. So any place here in the state of Ohio is where prime really does business. Absolutely. So there's some people we have to refer you to up in Columbus. Okay. Uh, when you talk to the uh, the new homeowner who's, who's looking for a loan, mm-hmm. uh what do they tell you they're really looking for? Well, depending on the situation on a purchase, most of the time they're just looking for a fair, competitive rate. You know, they're not necessarily looking for the lowest rate out there. They want, you know, something that's fair, certainly on both rate and closing cost. Um, they want, you know, a minimum amount of documentation or hoops that they feel like they have to jump through in order to get the mortgage, um, and in peace of mind that they're going to be able to meet the closing date on time. Because uh, let's face it, it's you know, buying a home is a very emotional process. They have uh, money on the line already in terms of uh, deposit or earnest money that they stand to lose uh, if the loan falls through and or lose the home altogether if they don't close. What's the average uh, time from someone uh, submitting an application to prime loan to the closing date? Our average turn time is 30 days on a purchase, which is what most realtors like to write contracts for. I know some of the bigger banks are taking a little longer. They like to have 45 or 60 days. Um, we still do them in 30 days or, or in many cases, well less than that. And for refinances? Refinances, we like to have 45 days just because, you know, every every bit of the process is a little bit backed up with the sheer volume coming through right now. Um, you know, the appraisers are backed up, title companies, you know, ordering payoffs, that sort of thing. So we like to have a little bit of extra time on the refinances, um, if nothing else, just so that we can give um, the proper treatment to the purchases and allow them to take precedence. Uh, you know, folks that are refinancing, they're already in a home. They already, you know, they live there already. It's it's not a matter of life and death to close, you know, on an exact date for them, whereas it is on a purchase. You know, a lot of times people have the moving trucks lined up already in the whole nine yards. Right. Uh, in, in the world, you're competing in a uh, highly competitive marketplace. On one end, you're competing with the Internet-based loan companies like Quicken. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on the other end, you're, you're fighting... Uh, Real, real estate companies that have their own captive uh, loan officers. Mm-hmm. Uh, why would someone come to prime lending? Great question. Um, and it'd be for maybe a couple of different reasons. Against someone like a Quicken or an Internet or an 800 number, um, what I always tell clients is, hey, we're local. Uh, we're, we're very experienced. You know, you know who you're dealing with. It's not some 18-year-old kid out in California on the other end of the phone. Uh, you know, I'm going to see you in the grocery store, you know, I got to look you in the eye. So, you know, when, when we say what we can do, you know, we back it up. We do what we say we can do. Um, on the real estate side of things, you know, most of them do have their own in-house companies and a lot of those companies are, are very good at what they do. Some good people over there. Um, however, a lot of realtors, for whatever reason, don't like to use the in-house mortgage companies for various reasons. I know those in-house companies consider a 20% capture rate to be successful. So if they can get one out of five deals coming through there, they consider themselves to be successful. That means four out of five deals are going elsewhere for other reasons, you know, and that's the business that we're looking to pick up. Okay. 
Uh, Ryan, let's take a uh, another short break, and we're going to uh, listen to a San Rule. We'll listen to San Rule number forty-seven. I'm Brad Massey with Sandler Training. I'm talking to you about rule number 47, selling as a Broadway play performed by a psychiatrist. What does that mean? Selling as a Broadway play, it's about a performance. It's about sometimes having to do things differently than we're comfortable doing. It's about making changes. Sometimes I need to speak with enthusiasm and excitement. Sometimes I need to speak more subtly and articulately, and I need to explain things deeper. Um, performance by a psychiatrist. What does psychiatry have to do with this rule? It means we have to have an understanding of human dynamics. Being a psychiatrist is about understanding human dynamics. It means we need to be able to manage the way we speak with people. Um, be an objective participant to the event when we talk to people keep our emotions under control, be able to ask the appropriate questions in a manner that is not contingent on the outcome. In other words, sometimes if I really want to close business, I get emotionally involved and what the other person is telling me has too much impact on me. I just need to understand that there's a process in how we go about interacting with people. And if I can say the right things, if I can ask the right questions, then I don't get emotionally involved with this opportunity. And the right thing always happens, yes or no. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with uh, Ryan Kuyper. Ryan uh, at Prime Lending, uh, let me ask you Maybe a tough question. Uh, we have a theory here that simple solutions are okay for simple problems, but complex complex problems require complex solutions because simple solutions fail with complex problems. Perhaps you can uh, share with our audience a complex problem that you encountered over there at Prime Lending that you came up with a complex solution for that people might be able to take the theory of operation of that solution and transfer it to their business? Wow, good question. Um, I've been accused of that before. <laughs> That's a mouthful, too. Um, I don't know how transferable this would be to other businesses, but you know, we get complex problems a lot, um, You know, particularly you know, one area that's a little more complex than others these days is when it comes to lending on condominiums. Um, that's an area where you know, a lot of lenders, uh, for whatever reason, they don't have a very big appetite uh, to lend on condominium projects. There's an extra layer of risk there involved, um, you know, because of That's homeowner. surprising. Yeah, homeowner associations, um, you know, if they're not all paying their dues and they go belly up or there could be litigation involved, um, various things. Uh, what will come into play is, uh, you know, how much commercial space is in a building, how much of the building is sold and occupied, how much of it is occupied by renters versus owners, and there's a whole myriad of things that can, can become red flags for a lender. So uh, for better or worse, we've become sort of a, a go-to lender in town here for condos because it's something that uh, I think that we're very good at 
and and we do have an appetite for. So one of the problems that we got sort of thrown in our lap is, you know, a lot of the projects, particularly in downtown uh, Cincinnati, that are that are selling fairly well still, um, you know, despite what you hear in the news. Um, you know, they they were all FHA or HUD approved previously. You know, FHA is a great program because it allows a small down payment. You can put down as little as three and a half percent in purchase using FHA financing. Well, FHA came in right around this time last year, and they said that all existing condominium projects would have to apply for reapproval. They let all the the condo projects expire. They were no longer willing to offer financing in those projects. Well, this obviously created a problem for the realtors out there and the potential pool of buyers because not all buyers had enough money uh, to put down and use conventional financing. Well, Enterprise Lending, uh, we do have a 97% conventional loan, uh, so it just requires a 3% down payment from the buyer. Um, and then also the 3% can be gift funds. It can come from a relative, from a friend, family member, uh, et cetera. So it stacks up very favorably to FHA. So we were able to come in and rescue uh, quite a few deals just by having a different product uh, that necessarily, you know, most of the rest of the market didn't offer. Okay, that's that's interesting uh, because I know I have some friends over in northern Kentucky that are mm-hmm. living in condos that are relatively newly constructed. In fact, mm-hmm. the development over in Bellevue isn't even sold out yet. Okay, yep, we've lent on a few of those. Have you? Good. Uh, as a Cincinnati office for... Uh, a Dallas-based company. Do you have much of an in- internet presence for the Cincinnati operation, Ohio operation? You know, from a, probably an advertising standpoint, I don't know how much of a, a presence we have. Um, we do have you know, our company websites along with our personalized websites for our loan officers that um, you know I encourage our team to use them. Um, I use mine certainly um, very extensively uh, for nothing else. They're very useful these days for uptaking uh, customer information. Everything is automated these days in terms of, uh, you know, underwriting and running credit reports and all that sort of thing. So what we will do is when we first speak with a potential client up front is we will actually have them go to our individual website to enter in their basic information, you know, on the web. There's a web-based application that they can do that, and that's uh, a very fast and efficient way for us to be able to run their particular scenario through the automated underwriting system find out exactly what they qualify for, and be able to get back to them um, usually within an hour or two uh, with not only a pre-approval letter, you know, if it's a purchase that they can give to their realtor sure, make them more like a cash buyer, um, especially in those situations where there's multiple offers these days, um, but then also, you know, customize a solution for them in terms of, uh, you know, what loan programs they qualify for, uh, rates programs, that sort of thing. I love to to be able to email that information to my clients, assuming we can't, you know, they don't have time to get together face to face, versus uh, just throwing a bunch of uh, rates and payments at them over the phone, uh, which I find to be, a, you know, a bit unprofessional. Right. So, in the old days, I remember um, to apply for a mortgage, you had to bring in your tax returns for the last three years, your brokerage statements, your credit card statements, all kind of other material, and the loan officer would make a uh, Xerox copy of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's now done all on the web. Yeah, they actually can uh, scan their documents and upload them right to the application that they entered on the website, um, or they can fax them to us. They can bring them in. We still have some clients here and there that prefer to, to meet face to face, which is fine. We enjoy that as well, and we can copy all the documents for them. 
um, and go about it that way. But yeah, we we try to be as you know as paperless as possible these days. Mm-hmm. Do uh, do people really appreciate going paperless? I think most do, and I think if nothing else, most people appreciate the efficiency of it because you know everyone is uh, seems to be very busy these days. People are stressed uh, to the max with with time constraints and things that they have going on. So um, if there's a way for us to make the process as painless as possible and, and reduce you know the amount of documentation that we need, the amount of time it takes to get it to us, uh, I think they appreciate that. Mm-hmm. What kind of uh, office hours does your company keep? Oh, all kinds. <laughs> uh, you know, for better or worse, we're we're sort of on call, you know, 24-7. I guess if you want to be successful in this business, you have to be. You know, there are certainly weekends involved because then most of the time that's when clients are out shopping for a home, you know, with a realtor, and they might, you know, need a pre-approval on the spot. So, you know, you have to be around and available. Um, doesn't mean you have to work 70 or 80 hours a week, although you certainly can. Uh, you know, you kind of get out of it what you put into it. But, um, you know, you need to be flexible. Um, you know, if you want to do a good amount of business. Well, you're not looking for new loan officers now, are you? Oh, no, never. Yeah, of course we are. What are the the (laughs) characteristics that someone might have to have um, for them to be considered a prime candidate at prime lending? Prime candidate for prime? Um, Good question, Mike. Uh, You know, I think some experience is helpful. You know, I wouldn't want to be someone who doesn't have experience in mortgage lending trying to break into the business these days, although it's, it's not entirely unheard of. It's just it's tough. Um, you know, as the business has gotten tougher, you know, the last few years with guideline changes and that. I think the biggest thing besides some basic experience would be, um, you know, the ability to be a self-generator in terms of your own leads and your book of business. You know, we don't have bank branches here locally. Uh, We are part of Plains Capital Bank who has bank branches down in Texas, but we don't have any locally here. So what we don't have are a ready available stream of leads and clients to just hand out to the loan officers. You know, they are somewhat on their own in terms of going out and building their book of business. But for someone who is not afraid to do that, you know, we feel like we have the tools, the backroom operation, you know, great rates, costs. We can close quickly. Programs that other banks and lenders don't have. We have all those tools that we can offer someone on the back end that they can be very successful. Now, talking to you as a manager, uh, many companies have uh, pretty strong uh, non-compete agreements with purportedly teeth in them. Uh, does your company use, use something like that? No, we really don't. Um, to take it a step further, I, I tell you, the, the, the culture at this company is, is amazing. It's, it's by far the best company I've ever worked for, hands down. There was a discussion recently within our leadership council as to whether or not um, the company for, in the rare occasion where a loan officer leaves the company, the company discussed whether or not they wanted to market to that loan officer's existing client database. And the company actually took the position that, no, they're not going to. They would turn that database over to the loan officer who departed and it would be theirs to do with as they saw fit. But that just didn't fit within the culture of the company. Well, that's a positive uh, yeah. statement. There are a lot of companies... Uh, un- unheard of, yeah, from my experience. <laughs> well, that's Unusual. There, yeah. there was a recent dispute between uh, a bank here in town and a financial services company, and they decided to go after people. And mm-hmm. in the end, the people won, but the circumstances were quite different. Yeah. Okay. You know, that's a, that's a healthy uh, perspective. Yep. In the uh, mortgage origination uh, role, you said you had about eleven people. Mm-hmm. If we uh, 
could ask them what the one thing they were looking for to help them improve their businesses since they're self-generated as a business, what do you think they'd tell us? I think they would tell you exactly what you know some new recruits that we have coming on board here shortly would, would tell you, and that is they were looking for quality of life. You know, the the other places that are out there, the big box banks, if you will, um, they're really struggling right now, unfortunately for them, from an operations standpoint. They're struggling to get loans closed. Um, the process uh, is a mess. Underwriting is over-conditioning for things, um, you know, asking for things really that they shouldn't need. And, you know, the loan officers are the ones on the front lines and they're not able to meet closing dates and they're the ones taking the heat, you know, not only from their clients but from the realtors or the financial planners or whoever, you know, referred those clients over. So um, I know for myself when I left that world and came to prime lending that, you know, 90% of my headaches, you know, went away immediately the day I walked out the door and went to prime. Um, it was just like the weight of the world was off of my shoulders. You know, I could, could sleep at night again. Yeah. So the bank didn't want to know... Uh when I had my grass fertilized last, no, they're they're pretty much you know, a lot of clients will joke, you know, you, you know, you want my firstborn, you want a blood sample. I mean, what's it going to take to get this the loan closed? You know, over at the, at the big banks, has it has it turned that bad? It's, it's gotten close. Wow, that's a a big difference. Yeah. Uh, as you look at the marketplace uh, on the positive side, what do you see as the uh, opportunities and possibilities? or prime lending in the marketplace? Well, I think the opportunity, there's a tremendous amount of upside. I mean, a very short amount of time, and when we've gone from non-existent in the local market to a top 10 lender, you know, with the amount of loans that we're closing here locally right now, um, we're still maybe a little bit of an unknown for some of the realtors out there who we haven't had the pleasure of working with yet, but for those that we have worked with, um, you know, we've gotten nothing but positive feedback at this point. So the, the goal for prime lending is to continue to grow. I think our sweet spot is, you know, going to be somewhere around 20, 25 loan officers here, uh, you know, over the long term. And prime lending doesn't uh, enter into a marketplace unless they feel like that they can, you know, dominate as one of the top players. Their goal is five and three and three and five. And what that simply means is they want to like be a bank. A, yeah, doesn't it? Um, they want to be a top five lender in the marketplace within three years okay. and then a top three lender within five years. And, uh, you know, we're, we're well on our way to, to doing that. You know, we've been here for just a little over a year now. Like I said, we just cracked the top ten already. And, uh, you know, we, we have a lot of positive momentum behind us. That's good. So when you uh, go to market, you said that you're looking for uh, residential realtors as your primary uh, sources of people looking for new mortgages on new construction. Mm-hmm. Uh how are your loan officers getting in touch with or finding, connecting with these realtors? Well, a lot of times it's it's word of mouth. You know, they'll we'll meet a lot of realtors who were on the other side of the transaction. They were the listing agent on the transaction, and they were impressed by, you know, not only how quickly we closed the deal uh, versus some of the other banks, but also the fact that we communicated proactively and gave them status updates, you know, once a week. Uh, we closed with accurate figures at the closing didn't have to correct a lot of stuff. And then we also, a big one right now is that... So once a week you're sending out an email to both realtors? Or a phone call to clients and the realtors letting them know where the status is uh, versus them having to check in, you know, with us and not knowing where the status is. And a big one is that we will get out the uh, the HUD-1 or closing settlement statement. Uh, We strive to get that out uh, at least 24 hours prior to closing. 
uh, the goal is really 48 hours prior to closing, whereas you know, most lenders these days, unfortunately, uh, you're lucky if you're getting that statement an hour before closing. You know, it comes down to the wire quite often, and, and the buyers don't know, you know, not only have they not seen all the figures, they don't know how much money they have to bring to closing, and they run out of time to get to the bank to get that certified check. Yeah, reminds me of the, the old story about Ed. Oh, yeah. No. You remember that one? I remember that one well. He did a uh, a loan. He thought he did a loan with uh, one of the online lenders mm-hmm. who promised to pay his uh, early termination fees on the old loan to bury it into the new loan and came to closing, and they didn't fulfill what they said they were going to do. Yeah, that's a problem. And he and his, he and his family had to move into a extended stay hotel for about a month until he could find a new house because he lost the house he thought he was going to get. But that went over well with the wife. Yeah. <laughs> okay, we're going to take a uh, another short break, and uh, then we'll be back with Ryan. When you hear about a typical sales training program, does it usually involve a one- or two-day seminar where some alleged guru passes down what he claims are the secrets to making sales? At Roth & Associates, I'm the most experienced Sandler sales trainer in Cincinnati. We recognize that truisms and motivating speeches aren't enough to arm sales teams with the tools they need for success. Sales is a hard business. Typical sales training can only provide typical and disappointing results. At Roth & Associates, we use the Sandler methodology of continual reinforcement and ongoing training seminars along with individual coaching to ensure victory in the world of sales. We've been doing it here in Cincinnati for over 15 years. You won't fail because I won't let you. Roth & Associates, 513-646-6523. 513-646-6523. Company owners and sales managers, are you tired of cutting your price to get the deal? Wouldn't you like to have a better way? Wouldn't you want to improve your margins? Call me, Mike Roth, at 513-646-6523 to see if there's a better way for you. This is Mike Roth. I'm back with uh, Brian Keifer from Prime Lending. Brian, let's do a little bit of education for our listeners. Mm-hmm. What are the five must-dos that a consumer should do to make sure that they get the best deal for themselves on uh, a new home or a refinance home? Just five. Just five. Oh, wow. Well, I think you know checking out the reputation of a loan officer that they're working with because you know, a lot of times, even if it's a good company backing them up, if you have a loan officer who is not as experienced or who doesn't have your best interest at heart, um, things can go awry and, and it can happen quickly. So, you know, a lot of times it's, it's, you know, it's recommended that they follow the realtor's recommendation if it's someone that they work with on a regular basis because they have experience with them and they know that they do what they say they're going to do and they can close on time. Um, so that would be number one. Is there, is there any way for someone to check the reputation? You know, a company you can check on the Better Business Bureau. Mm-hmm. How do you check an individual mortgage loan officer? Are they licensed by a state authority? They are licensed nationally. You know, every loan officer should have what's called an NMLS number. It's the National Mortgage Licensing System. Okay. So you know, the good news there is that uh, some of the less desirables that used to be in the mortgage business, because let's face it, the barrier to entry was pretty low at one time. Um, but those people are out of here now. You know, you can't have uh, any felonies in your background, you know, and be licensed. Um, you know, people with, you know, personal bankruptcies and that kind of thing, or, you know, it's very tough for them to get licensed these days. So so that would be, you know, job number one is checking out the background. Um, yep. 
second thing would be to make sure that whatever it is you're getting offered to you, you get it in writing. Uh, the good news is with some of the changes uh, that the government has implemented over the last few years that if you get a good faith estimate from uh, an organization, from a bank or a loan officer, uh, they have to honor that. You know, the days of the bait and switch are gone. Uh, so if you get in a writing that you are locked in at a particular interest rate and it's at you know a set number of closing costs, they have to honor that at closing. The numbers cannot change anymore, which is good news for the consumer. That's the, the way it should be. So that would be uh, you know certainly the second thing to check out. Um, you can do you know research online these days. And, you know Google a particular loan officer's name, I and mean, there's you know I'm sure you know if there's less than good reports out there, you're going to find them. So that'd be another way to to check a background, um, you know, on someone and in the company. Okay. Uh, anything else? You know, you want to make sure that the solution that you're getting for your financing is, is the one that makes the most sense. You know, a lot of times the, the best interest rate on the wrong strategy can actually end up costing you tens of thousands of dollars over the life of the loan, you know, as a consumer. Um, you know, I think there's uh, there's a tendency out there, right, wrong, or indifferent, for people to go for the 30-year fixed, uh, you know, zero points. They want to keep the closing costs as low as possible, um, and that's all they look at. And when there's a lot of other variables in play, uh, particularly if someone is putting down less than 20%, you know, on a purchase, or if they have less than 20% equity on a refinance, because what comes into play there is the dreaded PMI or mortgage insurance. And there are different ways uh, to handle that these days. You know, you're able to, we're able to actually buy that out up front these days and get rid of PMI as part of the monthly payment. So, you know, that's that's a big help as well. So it's not a one-size-fits-all solution these days. And I would encourage consumers, you know, to shop around and make sure that, you know, the person that they're speaking with and working with is really hearing, you know, what their needs and their issues are so that they can customize and tailor-make um, a loan that, you know, fits their unique situation. You know, the, you shouldn't just compartmentalize the mortgage and look at it as this necessary evil or commodity that you're just looking for the cheapest rate and cost. It's this just evil debt over here. If positioned correctly, a mortgage can actually have a pretty positive impact on your overall financial plan and it can act uh, as an instrument to help you uh, create wealth if, if structured properly. What are a couple of things that Consumers should avoid like the plague when contemplating buying a new house and getting a new mortgage. Avoid like the plague. Wow. Just like the plague. <laughs> Don't well, do this. I, I certainly wouldn't, you know, look at a loan that has a prepayment penalty, um, which, you know, thankfully not many of them do these days. I also would avoid um, any short-term ARM products, which ARM stands for Adjustable Rate Mortgage. Um, so a one-year or a three-year arm, which there there is one. There are actually two particular banks that are related to each other here in town that love to offer one-year arms. Uh, so it's got this low teaser rate for one year, and then it can start to adjust after that. Banks love those loans because it puts all the interest rate risk on the consumer. You know, the bank's taking zero risk there. They're only fixing your rate for a year, and then you're just floating and adjusting with wherever the market is. I would avoid that loan personally like the plague. So you like... Uh, fixed rate loans. Fixed rates or intermediate fixed rates. So uh, a seven-year intermediate? intermediate would be a seven-year or a ten-year arm. So the rate's fixed for either seven years or ten years. Then it can turn into an adjustable rate mortgage after that. That would make sense for someone, you know, maybe a first-time buyer who feels like they're only going to be in a property for three to five years. 
I would, you know, maybe recommend a seven-year arm just to give them a couple of extra years just in case. Um, or I have some clients right now who are refinancing into a 10-year arm. It's a jumbo loan where they can save a lot of money. It's a big loan amount, $900,000. By taking this 10-year arm, they can save a couple thousand dollars a year versus a 30-year fixed. And they plan on retiring in five years and selling the property. So for them, it doesn't make any sense to do a 30-year fix because that is the most expensive mortgage out there. That's the highest rate offered is a 30-year fix because you're asking the bank to take all the interest rate risk. Oh, I see. Uh, so actually you get a lower rate on a 10 or a 15-year loan. Correct. Good. And is there anything else that a consumer should avoid doing, like buying a new car on a lease? Yeah, you should avoid any and all new debt during the loan process. You know, we have that pop up as much as we, you know, try to coach people up front not to have anyone else, you know, run a credit report, you know, outside of, you know, if they're shopping around for a mortgage, which is perfectly fine. Um, but, you know, they shouldn't be applying for a new credit card or a car loan uh, because underwriting is going to ask for that. You know, they will repool their credit a couple of days before closing. They will look at the credit report to see if there are any new inquiries. Um, you know, where they've tried to take out, you know, new loans. And that, that has killed a few deals here and there where people went out and, uh, you know, bought something new. Uh, maybe they went out and bought furniture, same as cash or, you know, something like that. We would encourage them to wait until the loan closing to do that sort of thing. So how how long after they made a major purchase like a car mm-hmm. should people wait before they uh, apply for a loan? Well, as long as the uh, the debt-to-income ratios are in line, in other words, we look at the total income on a monthly basis in relation to the amount of debt that they have reporting to the credit bureau. Uh, so things like car loans, credit cards, and mortgages would all report. Uh, things like cell phones, cable bills, Duke Energy bills, those don't report to the credit bureau. So we don't have to worry about those items. But if they bought a car recently, um, you know, we'll take that into account, certainly if it's you know, not showing on the credit report yet because they just bought it last week. That is something that you very much want to, uh, you know, let your loan officer know because it will be found out, you know, before the closing occurs and it and it can blow up the deal. So loan processors don't like surprises. Uh, no, no one likes surprises. <laughs> okay, Ryan. If you were going to give, uh, if you had a brother, mm-hmm. if you were going to give your brother some advice about buying a new house, or refinancing his existing mortgage, what advice would you give him? In terms of the mortgage, well, I would say, again, you know, let's look at, you know, the overall financial goals, the overall picture. Um, You know, we we see people a lot of times on refinances coming in and wanting to do a 15-year fix because it's a nice low rate. Uh, They feel like paying off that house is a good thing. Um, But yet they have $20,000 or $30,000 in credit card debt sitting out there. Well, doesn't make a whole lot of sense to aggressively pay down the one loan that is the lowest interest rate and also has a tax deduction with it if you have this other unsecured debt sitting out there at a higher rate. For someone like that, I would recommend sticking with a 30-year fix, take the monthly savings of what they would have paid had they done a 15-year, and apply it towards that other debt. Let's get that other debt knocked out first. And then from there, maybe you want to take the money and you want to set it aside in retirement you know, in a 401k or an IRA. So again, it's, it's, it's unique and it's, um, and it's very individualized in terms of, you know, what mortgage makes the most sense for someone. And that was a good piece of advice. Yeah. I mean, for someone who's, you know, 60 years old, they're five or 10 years away from retirement, they have no other debt, by all means, hey, let's look at a 10-year fix or a 15-year fix. Let's eliminate the debt. They're all set 
otherwise. But for a young person starting out, um, you know, chasing after a mortgage and trying to pay it down is no fun, number one. Number two, there's a lot of other better things you can do with your money. So what, what advice would you give to the uh, uh, retirees, the people who are taking packages from some of the large companies in town that, that are downsizing their home? You know, I'm always a fan of a 30-year fix just because you can pay a 30-year fix off in 15, but you can't pay a 15-year off in 30. And unfortunately, every time we get into one of these refinance cycles, we see people trying to do the right thing, quote-unquote, and they do a 15-year fix only to come back to us six months or a year later, and they're choking on the payment. You know, hey, I can't afford this, or I lost my job, or this happened, that happened. And, and unfortunately, when you need a loan the most is when the bank doesn't want to give it to you. You know, if you lost your job and now you no longer have income to qualify for the loan, mm-hmm. you're not going to be able to get a loan. Now you're stuck with that payment. So the 65-year-old or the 60-year-old uh, who wants to downsize, mm-hmm. you recommend moving into a new smaller place with a 30-year fixed? Depending on the situation. I mean, certainly a 30-year is not a bad way to go, but it, it, again, depends on their individual situation. You know, how much do they have in assets? What kind of income do they have? Um, You know, a 30-year, certainly, you can't go wrong. I mean, the rates are in the mid to high threes right now. It's it's cheap money. Mm -hmm. Is it ever wrong, in your opinion, to uh, buy a house for cash? Um, it depends on the situation. Again, if that was the only asset that someone had and if they were, you know, blowing their entire account and locking that money up into the house, I mean, let's face it, the house is not a very liquid investment, which a lot of people have found out the hard way, uh, you know, over the last few years. Um, you know, only cash in the bank is like having cash in the bank. So, but, if, you know, if someone has $5 million sitting in the bank and it's a $200,000 house, um, you know, then then they'd be fine to do something like that. So again, depends on the situation. Good. Uh, before we wrap up here with Brian, I want to remind everyone that we have a cold call camp coming up on August 29th. That's a Wednesday, August 29th, from 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. Uh, you don't have to be a Sandler client to come to come to that. The normal cost is 5.95, but if you call into the office. Ask for Carmen at 513-753-9400, extension 102. Tell Carmen that you heard about the special officer office on the Cincinnati Business Talk radio show. You can buy that cold call camp seat for $395. Brian, as, as we wrap up the show here, uh, do you have any uh, other special remarks or ideas for people about mortgages? Well, you know, as we were talking here, Mike, you asked the question earlier about a unique situation that we encountered in the market and the solution that we came up with. And another one that comes to mind is, you know, somewhere around 40% of the market right now is what is called uh, REO, real estate owned. That means the banks took the houses back from the owners. You know, these are foreclosures that the banks own and they're trying to sell them to someone else. Well, a lot of these properties need a little bit of TLC. They need some, some fixing up, and that's why a lot of them are still sitting there. As these buyers that look at these homes, they realize they're a bargain, they're at a good price, but they don't necessarily have the money to put into them to fix them and get them sort of up to code. And, you know, and up in to other words, it's, it's a $130,000 house. Mm-hmm. It was in good shape, and because it's a little run down, it didn't have an owner, it's got a messed up uh, landscaping mm-hmm. it's going to sell for 60000 Exactly. So what we have out there, because, you know, the, the buyers, let's face it, they don't want to put money into a home that they don't own yet, 
and a lenders a lot of times aren't willing to lend on these houses because they're you know they're not up to code um and the seller who's quite often a bank isn't going to put money into them either they got a bunch of these things sitting there they just want to get rid of them so what we have is we have some rehab and renovation loans where we allow people to finance in the improvements you know we can finance over and above the purchase price um, you know, whether it's a new HVAC, we had one recently, we did a new roof. Um, I personally have one closing today that there is a wall that's bowing out in the foundation in the garage. So, again, this is something that, you know, most banks wouldn't lend on because, you know, obviously it's an issue. Uh, but we will escrow the money at closing, give the clients a certain amount of time after closing to go back and do the needed repairs. Everyone's happy. Okay, so they can take the $60,000 house mm-hmm. that was should sell for 130. Mm-hmm. Okay, finance it for 60. Right. Get another 20,000 to fix the boat out walls or heating and air conditioning. Exactly. Or whatever other remodeling. Mm-hmm. Wind up with a house that's worth uh, 90 to 130,000. Exactly. Because a lot of buyers don't have that cash up front to be able to do that type of work. Especially there. in that yeah. end of the marketplace. Yeah, exactly. So it's we feel like you know our predictions are that one in four homes will qualify for some sort of construction or rehab financing here over the next couple of years with all the foreclosure inventory that's coming to market. So it's a very big opportunity uh, for us as a lender to be competitive in that marketplace and offer that as a solution to clients and to realtors who struggle with having that inventory sitting there that they can't move. So that's uh, an interesting scenario. That means that the person's carrying an $80,000 loan in that case mm-hmm. on the, a property that might have an appraised value when finished of 130. Exactly, and that is the one caveat there is that when we send the appraiser out, they will do what's called a subject to appraisal, meaning they're going to appraise it as if the improvements already happened. So they'll tell us whether the improvements are worth it or not, or whether someone would be over improving on the home. You know, throwing granite countertops into a fifty thousand dollar home isn't going to work. You know, but if it's needed improvements like a new roof, you know, that type of thing, then, then you know we'll do it. Good, Brian. I want to thank you for. Uh being with us here on Cincinnati Business Talk. And certainly, if you know some people that might want to be on the show, uh, Ryan can call me and tell me, and I'm going to give you a copy of Sandler's new book, The 11 Success Principles, uh, which has made it to the number one position on Amazon and the Wall Street Journal bestseller lists. And I want to thank everyone for listening. And Scott, why don't you uh, take it away? Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or comments, contact Mike at MikeRoth at RothConsulting.net or call Mike at 513-753-9400.